The Know Your City podcast is recorded in a live office setting, so if you happen to hear any typing, soft chatter, or doors closing, don't be alarmed. It's just the sound of work getting done. Welcome to the Know Your City podcast, where we talk about cities, learn about their leaders, and discuss the issues that are impacting our communities. This podcast is brought to you by Learn, a nonprofit community development organization based in Los Angeles. My name is Rudy Espinoza. Welcome. I'm joined by my colleagues. Azucena Favela. Hi, everyone. This is Luis. So, Luis, we have a great guest with us today. Who do we have? We do. We have Jacqueline Wagner. Uh, Jacqueline is the Vice President and Southern California Market Leader for Enterprise Community Partners. She oversees enterprises' affordable housing, community development, investment, and strategic programs from the state's central coast to San Diego. She has worked with the City of Los Angeles banks and nonprofit development partners to create local funds for affordable housing, advocate for low-income families, and support enterprises' vision for providing communities of opportunity. Jacqueline serves on the 10-member Los Angeles Homeless Services Authority Commission, the agency's governing board appointed by Supervisor Mark Ridley-Thomas in February 2017. A Los Angeles native, Jacqueline has a bachelor's degree in sociology and a master's degree in urban planning from UCLA. Bruin in the house. (laughs) I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) So we have a feeling that a a decent number of our listeners are actually also UCLA uh, trained planners, Rudy here being one of them. Um, Jacqueline, can you tell us what made you uh, choose this track? Well, I would say it kind of started with who I am to the core. Um, I really care about people and the greater good. And so when I was an undergraduate, I studied sociology. And um, as I did that, I realized that I also love the built environment and really understand how it really impacts people's lives. And so I was like, where do those two worlds meet? (laughs) (laughs) And then I found my way to UCLA urban planning. I did my undergrad at UCLA uh, as well. Go Bruins um, with Rudy in the house here with me, too. Well, I Um, also went to UCLA, too. I did. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So that's what makes uh, that super cool. And so when I got the opportunity to go to urban planning, um, it really matters who your professors are. I feel like a lot of the educators at UCLA are activists. A lot of them have been on the ground working mm-hmm. with folks as a part of the internships. You had to work with the people and mm-hmm. not only work in the traditional setting of urban planning. And it really um, sparked my interest into taking my hope of helping people in the built environment and merging those two things into a career. And so I really feel like that was the runway that got me where I am today. And many of our fellow urban planners like Rudy are out there fighting for the good of impoverished folks um, in the region. Uh, the list is endless. Mm-hmm. And you can't you can't see her, obviously, but she's smiling all the way through explaining that. So yeah, 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 for sure. Shout out tell. to UCLA planners That's over right. there. Bruins. Um, cool. So uh, Jacqueline, um, you are the vice president and market leader for Enterprise in Southern California. What? So Enterprise um, is an important CDFI. And uh, one of the questions I had is, uh, can you explain to our listeners, what is a CDFI? 
So before I explain that, I should probably tell you a little about a, a bit about Enterprise. Um, Enterprise is a national intermediary. We were founded over 35 years ago, and we really have developed a strong interest in helping low-income people move up and out of poverty, and we've done that through the investment of capital. So um, we've invested roughly $29 billion uh, across the country and roughly $1.2 of that here in Los Angeles, largely through tax credits, which most people might not know about. There's different forms of them, form of them to build um, community facilities and things like that to build affordable housing, um, as well as we've done some permanent lending, so for long-term affordability. Um, we also advocate for policy. I mean, when the, the low-income housing tax credit, which is financed most of the affordable housing in the country, we were right there leading the way for that. And we continue to be an advocate at the federal level for all types of policy, like Section 8, preservation of grant resources that help nonprofits that are working on the ground in the community to house folks. Um, and then also we do a lot of capacity building. So we do a lot of systems change work with public agency partners throughout the country here locally and also work to build the capacity of nonprofit partners that are looking to house the most vulnerable folks. And so that's kind of the backdrop of who we are. And then a, a community development financial institution a CDFI is that entity that takes that added risk that banks won't to invest in hard projects. And many of them often uh, are in my majority minority neighborhoods and really help advance some of the vision of the community. So community facilities and housings and other things. And um, they're very active. Uh, there's many of them across the country, but I will say that they've really taken a leap of faith and provided that those early resources that it uh, take, takes to advance a project. Mm -hmm. So Jacqueline, I guess you sort of touched on it a little bit there at the end is, um, you know, capital is so important and it seems like it's central to the work that you do at Enterprise and, and using tax credits and using all these resources and trying to get them into communities, low-income communities, building capacity so folks can use that capital. What is the role of capital in community? Because I feel like when we talk about, we have a, um, Learn has a microloan program, so we think about capital too. And, um, but then when we talk to some of our colleagues in the field, they're like, well, why are you dealing with that stuff? And maybe, I, th I think people have a hard time understanding how capital works and how it should work more for our communities. Can you talk about what is the role of, ca of capital in community development? <laughs> From my perspective, you know, when you engage folks and you have an envision of what needs to happen in the community, you need resources to do it. Just like you need resources to live and house yourself and eat and other things, when you want to advance bigger projects, you need much more resources. And so capital plays a major role in how our neighborhoods get built, what services are rendered to us. And so I think you can do nothing without capital. It is a core component of um, neighborhood success. It's how the money comes and if it's directed in a way that meets the community needs. And so that's an important thing. So groups like LEARN that really step out and ground truth their strategies to see, you know, what small businesses and other players in the community needs and then go to leverage capital to invest in those strategies. I mean, it's priceless. Yeah, it's important stuff. Um, so Jacqueline, Supervisor Mark Ridley-Thomas appointed you to the Los Angeles Housing Services Authority because you are, and I quote, 
already deep in the trenches of helping vulnerable populations. How close to heart do you carry that perspective? Well, as a native Angelino, I um, love Los Angeles. I love everything about it, even its woes. I love Los <laughs> Angeles. And That's love. Yeah. Even, <laughs> we, love. We, got, we got our problems, take right? Take notes, people. Take <laughs> notes. And I would say that um, growing up here, I don't recall walking to school or walking to the store or driving anywhere and seeing people sleeping on the street. It is a mm-hmm. moral crisis. Everybody should have access to safe, decent, affordable housing. And really, I am committed to it because I know what Los Angeles used to be and what it can be. Mm-hmm. And I want to help the folks that want to move into housing. And so I'm committed to it personally because I, I commit my time to LASA on that work, but also in the work the enterprise is doing. Um, I have uh, someone on my team that's really working on um, speeding up the system from the, the, the point that somebody's sleeping um, on the streets to the point that they get a keys and get access to housing and services. So we're doing that work, but uh, we're also um, investing in preserving the existing stock because a lot of the people that move in from off the streets are moving into existing housing and they need wraparound services. So I'm personally and professionally committed to helping improve the homeless services delivery system. Um, You know, during your appointment, um, you made a call to action. Well, I took it as a call to action, right? Um, You said none of us should feel restful. Um, We are a more civil and humane society. Now, how do you remind folks of that and ground them in that when they're refusing projects in their own communities? It's interesting. I I know many of... uh, my colleagues struggle with the same thing, but um, when I'm just talking to family and friends, you know, when we go in and go into our homes and we have heat and air and we have keys, it's really a privilege. Mm-hmm. And that many of our people are using the sidewalks as their pillows. It is a moral crisis. And so I think you remind people is that you know, a lot of the housing that we all live in, someone helped us somehow. It might have been a family member, we might have worked, but most people have access to housing because of some entry point. Somebody mm-hmm. helped them, there was some subsidy, even homeowners get subsidy. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think that's how I kind of remind people the importance of it. And if we want to really have a safe, inclusive community, we need to make sure everybody's inside. No, absolutely agree. I mean, I think of the trajectory of even my own family going from living with other family members, right? And it's all definitional about how you consider homelessness, but living with another family member when we didn't have any other options. I mean, we were technically homeless. Going to living in a trailer was we were homeless. Mm -hmm. Um, And Section 8 was that one opportunity we had to actually save some money and and have, you know, my mom get into home ownership. And so the trajectories you talk about it and and the points of support that someone can can um, access are super important. Definitely. And a lot of people don't have people to call. I mean, Mm. they just don't, you know. And so. We need to um, help people get their dignity back and help them get into housing. And so that's what I ask people, like, do you feel good when you walk by an encampment or 
do those things make you feel good? Um, so you have to invest in it in some form. Mm-hmm. And okay. I think that they got out and agreed to tax themselves. That's right. Through Proposition Triple yeah. H and Measure H, mm-hmm. they're like, okay, we need to do something. Because one of the biggest things that happened for us is that the encampments um, are used to be just concentrated in Skip Row. But have, now that they've dispersed throughout the city, it really woke our city up to say, like, oh, we have a moral housing, we have a housing crisis and we need to do something about it. So obviously this is a big issue. Um, do you believe we can get ahead of it? Uh, and how can we mobilize faster so that we actually resolve the issue of homelessness? Well, I think that we're doing some of that. You know, like I said, through Proposition Triple H, Measure H, what could potentially come from the state, like the No Place Like Home, we realize that we need um, uh, a multi-layer strategy to solve for homelessness. And I think the money coming on board is not just to do patchwork, but it's designed to accelerate and triple the production um, of housing. And so I think that we're headed in the right direction. So speaking of taxes, um, what's up with what's up with Trump's tax plan? I, I read an article. You came out saying that you know it's going to hurt uh, development and housing. So in LA, uh, we voted to approve these two important measures, but then at the federal level, um, a lot of stuff happened, and it seems like it's going to hurt us. Can you talk about that? So what, what about that? What are we facing um, at the federal level in terms of housing the homeless? Well, I will say that tax reform was a huge threat, right? And so what was at risk is low-income housing tax credits, which I mentioned is a lot of the capital that goes into affordable housing, Um, new markets tax credits, um, historic tax credits, all of those things were um, being threatened, but they were preserved. But the challenge is, is the cut in the corporate tax rate. And the cut in the corporate tax rate means that investors put less per dollar in a transaction than they historically have. And so cutting that rate from 35% to 21%, what that does is build bigger gaps in the funding and it requires more local resources. And so we went out to to do Proposition Triple H and said that we were gonna do 10,000 units. And I think that's still the vision of the work, but it means that the city and the county have to invest more money into the transaction to fill for those gaps because of those federal changes. So while we can still press on and build more housing, What's been compromised um, across the U.S. is about, you know, a quarter of um, almost 230 plus thousand units will be lost because of that that cut. Thank you for that. Um, so we also, um, you know, we like to ask our guests uh, what if questions. Um, so we'd like to ask you one. Um, what would you be doing if you weren't um, on this path that you're leading today? What was that alter life? It's so funny you say that because um, I when when I when you when that question is presented to me, it's really I couldn't imagine any other life than where I am now and mm. helping people. Like I used to think, oh, I should have gone to law school and all of those things because of the things expectations of others. But I'm about people. Um, Mm -hmm. So I just feel like if I wasn't doing this, I would be doing something to keep me civically engaged as a career. Like I would have to be engaged with helping other people. So I really don't have a good answer for that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know. I feel like this is, 
I love what I do. So um, I can't imagine doing anything else. But my, I, I probably think my alternative thing is I wanted to do law, but I was like, that's paper, words, just that's it. It, it doesn't typically have people in it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Jacqueline, I hope that listeners can feel the energy that you know through the through the mics because um it's just it's so, it's such a pleasure to chat with you. I mean, you're such a boss, and you're leading so so much important work here in the city. And I guess my question is, what are some key lessons you may have on leadership? Um, what makes an effective leader? Um, as a woman of color in these positions, do you have any advice or insights to other women of color that are trying to make the same impact that you are? One of my uh, good friends has a saying, big impact, little ego. And Mm. I really feel like let your work arrive before you do. And that's the beginning of really being a great leader. And then knowing when to lead and when to step back and allow others to lead. Because really, um, even though you say I'm the boss, I'm only the boss because I have great people behind me and, you know, and that I collaborate with. And so I never really look at myself as the boss. I try to keep that uh, balanced. Um, But I really feel like just being humble and being about helping other people and not being about focused on yourself about where you're going as a person. I would say, um, as a woman of color, it's tough out here (laughs) 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 because um, sometimes I'm the lone wolf in the group where I'm often the only person of color in the room. I'm sometimes the only woman in the room. Mm -hmm. I think that um, keeping your focus on the vision of where you want to go is so important because, you know, we talked about homelessness and when you talk about 58,000 people that are experiencing homelessness, it can seem daunting and seem like you mm-hmm. can't ever end homelessness, but you have to believe in the bigger picture and that you're addressing it one person at a time, one project at a time, one unit at a time and changing the life for that one person because every person is important. So boss lessons, bosses, be a good leader, but also do a lot of listening. I really feel like um, there's a lot of power in listening. And if you listen more, you learn more. I yeah. hope you all took notes. But before we queue <laughs> up Kendrick here, I I do want you to tell us about um, a particular project in your career that you're most proud of. One of my favorite moments, and it happened to be an enterprise moment. Um, I've been with enterprise for about 13 years now. And um, about... 10 years ago, um, when the economy was spiraling downward and developers were anxiously looking for capital Mm. tools to acquire sites so that they can compete with market rate developers and buy sites um, around the city to try to, you know, um, keep um, these investors from um, purchasing sites in their neighborhood. We um, developed a fund um, which we collaborated with public agencies, foundations, and banks to raise $100 million focused on the city of Los Angeles that was really looking at acquiring sites to build and preserve affordable housing. And that fund was launched 10 years ago at $100 million when banks were really starting to 
invest less because the market was so risky and being able to provide people um, the capital they need to acquire these sites. And now we're 10 years in. We've deployed over $110 million. Um, We've helped build or preserve 2,000 units. I think that's monumental for so many reasons because we realize that we can't solve the homeless crisis or any other housing crisis alone, that it takes a, a variety of stakeholders, and we all have to be in, and capital was key mm -hmm. to the success the of that. Point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so I think that that is really one of my proudest moments because we helped the city um, create a tool. They took their resources, we leveraged them almost seven to one wow. to wow. create that wow. um, resource. And so there's so many, there's some great projects coming online in East LA, South LA, downtown, Skid Row, that wouldn't have happened without that capital. And so I can drive by those uh, buildings and see the success and know that we've changed some lives along the way. I know that Enterprise works uh, with a lot of different organizations. You're part of different coalitions. Uh, LA Thrives is one of them. Um, do you see anything like that coming down the, the pike of something that's exciting that you, you're, you're looking forward to continue to work on? Rudy, I can't tell you all my secrets. <laughs> 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 but I will tell you as we move forward and tackle all of the different issues that impact people's access to opportunity, like economic mobility, transportation, education, those things, we know that success only comes with a diverse group of stakeholders like LA Thrives. And so we'll be looking to people like you, Rudy, to um, lock mm -hmm. arms with you to see like what do some of those solutions look like. So stay tuned. I think you'll be a part of the movement. Cool, cool. It sounds uh, like there's cool. a part two to this interview. <laughs> then. Yeah, <part> two. <laughs> uh, so as you know, this is the Know Your City podcast. Uh, so in the spirit of the title, we want to know, and this is something we ask all of our guests, what is one thing you would like our listeners to know about your city? Um, if it could be a fact, a favorite place, a good place to eat, some kind of experience, you tell us something about your city and what you want our listeners to know. Oh my gosh, it's hard to pick one thing about Los Angeles because I love everything about it, the diversity of it, the cultural richness of it. Um, but I will say that us Angelinos barely get to the beach. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> like we talk about we have a beach, but who goes? We really take it for granted. And so any beach I love, like... Um, um, Palisades, Malibu, just to go out, sit, and spend time reflecting, looking at the water is probably my favorite pastime about Los Angeles. But also love the um, hustle and bustle of being with the people. And so any part of Los Angeles, where there's East Los Angeles, South Los Angeles, West Hollywood, or any part of the city, I really love to go and get the richness of that local neighborhood. Very cool. Thanks for being with us. Thank you.